Well, as I said earlier, we're concluding the series Life in Babylon, where we've been looking at the life of Daniel as told through the Old Testament book, Daniel. And we've been looking at stories, and we've used this idea that we look at Daniel because it can teach us something of what it means to be a redemptive influence and how to have a redemptive influence in a society whose values are far different from our own. And so we've looked at the story of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this society of Babylon and this King Nebuchadnezzar. And today we're going to look at chapter 4 in Daniel, and we're going to look at a warning that, that I believe we have here in chapter 4. And I think it could be summarized like this. As we know that we're supposed to have an influence, a redemptive influence in the world around us, there's also this warning not to fall in love with the culture because this culture can have an influence on us if we're not careful. If we're not careful in trying to influence the world, we can fall prey to the teachings of this world and confuse what it is the Bible has to say with the values that we find in today's culture. And as we look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, I think there's something that we can learn from this story that he can teach us in this story and that we see evident in his life. And as we've seen throughout history, as psychologists see in mankind, is that Mankind, one of the things, one of the defining characteristics of man is that we're always in search of significance for our lives. We're always in search of meaning. We want to know that our lives matter, that they're important, that there's a meaning to my life. That's one of the defining characteristics about being human. And so we want to understand where we find our significance. But I think Nebuchadnezzar has a warning for us that if we're not careful... We might fall prey to the world's definition of where you find your significance, and that is in your successes, in your accomplishments, in who you are, in the things that you've accumulated, the things that you do, where you live, who your friends are. We can fall prey to these successes in this world and make them where we find our significance in life, where we find our true purpose and meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar's warning us in this text, I believe, that there's a problem with that. Because when we fall prey to the world's definition of where we find significance, we'll be blinded to the true source of significance. That it was never intended for us to find our significance, our meaning, and the things that we accumulate in this world. They're just that. They're successes. They're no more. They're not where we find our success, our our significance. And so we're going to turn to chapter 4, and we're going to look at what Nebuchadnezzar has to say. And I think he would say to us, if he were here this morning, as he speaks through these words, that he himself was blinded by his successes. That he found significance in his successes. That he bought into the idea that this kingdom, everything that I've accumulated, all that I've become, really define who I am and have provided me meaning and purpose in my life. And I think he would tell us that he was blinded by that notion. That true significance is not found in your accomplishments or the things that you've do in this world or the things that you accumulate, but they're found elsewhere. But these things can blind us to the true meaning and purpose of our life, where we truly find significance. Now, as we look at this story, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things that stick out as before we get to chapter four. And that is one of the things that's changed is that you see Nebuchadnezzar telling the story. This chapter is told from his perspective. It's actually a letter that he has written, that he has sent out to all the people. And now Nebuchadnezzar is speaking, which is different from the other chapters. And you see Nebuchadnezzar using this literary device. He does this type of storytelling. He starts with the present. 
But then he does this thing called a flashback, where he goes back eight years. He tells you the present, but then he goes back and says, but that's not the story. Let me take you back eight years and, give, and, and let you see how I ended up in this place. See, when the use of flashback is really to kind of give us an insight into the motives of an author or a writer. You see that in movies, right? One of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects, does that. It starts off with the present, but then it goes back in time to tell you how we ended up right here. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. I'm praising God. Well, let me tell you why. And here's what's even more fascinating. Is that Nebuchadnezzar is now praising God. He's no longer praising the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's praising God for himself. And so as he does this, as he tells us, as he reveals his motive in this flashback, I think he shows us three things that we can learn about this blindness. And that is, what's the cause? How is it that we become blind to true significance? What are the signs? How do I know that I'm blind? What's the sign of blindness? And thirdly, what's the treatment? Is there hope? Or am I supposed to be blind the rest of my life? And so Nebuchadnezzar has some words for us this morning that he shares with us as we turn to this story. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them to chapter 4 in Daniel. Or if you have your phone, open it up and we'll follow through. We're going to go through the entire chapter in quick fashion this morning. So as we turn to verse 1, this is how it starts. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. It's no longer the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar says, the God Most High is my God. Quite a drastic change. And you look at him and you say, wow, what happened? If you know the other parts of the story. And that's where he does this flashback. He says, that's where I'm at today. But that's not the whole story. Let me take you eight years earlier. And that's what he does. And in doing so, he tells us about this dream. Actually, it's categorized as a nightmare. And it's in this dream where we learn the cause of his blindness that he'd like to share with us. So as we begin this story, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was at home. I was at home in my palace and things were great. I was contented, I was prosperous, I had everything I needed. But then I had this dream. And in this dream, it scared me. It terrified me. And so I invited my magicians and soothsayers in to tell me what it meant. But they couldn't tell him what it meant. And then he says, and then finally Daniel came in. And I shared with him the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this giant tree. It's enormous. And it stretches from the earth all the way to heaven. And it can be seen by everyone on earth. And this tree provides sustenance from the fruit of the tree. And this tree provides protection for all who live under the tree. And the tree is glorious. But then he says, there's a voice from heaven that comes down. There's a holy messenger that comes down and says, 
cut down the tree. Cut it down. Destroy the tree. No more branches. Cut everything down. There will no longer be protection under this tree. And then this holy messenger says, and he will be driven from the land. He will be driven out of his mind. He will become like an animal, and he will live with the animals, and he will have emotions like the animals, not like them. He will actually have feelings and emotions and actions as a wild, uncontained beast. And this will happen for seven times, meaning for seven years. And the voice decries, until he raises his eyes, he will remain like this, but he will raise his eyes. And he tells Daniel the dream. And it's in this dream, it's in this scenario that I believe he reveals the cause of his blindness. And it's pride. He's at home in his palace, taking stock over all that he had created, all that he had built. And he's content. He has everything he needs. He himself is the tree. And he's glorying in himself that the whole world sees him as the one mighty king on earth. And from him, everyone is fed, everyone is protected. And his pride has welled up within him. Then he has this dream. And in the dream, it reveals to him, that's exactly how you see yourself. You see yourself as this tree. But guess what? There's a king higher than you. And we, it's revealed through this dream, Nebuchadnezzar's pride has caused him to find his significance in the successes of this world. In his search for success, in his search for significance... He's fallen prey and become blind to the fact that true significance isn't found in your greatness, isn't found in the things that you accumulate or that you build. That's what he reveals, that it's pride. One of the commentators says this about that scene. When we stand in front of God, our problem is not just our weaknesses and our failures. It's our successes and our strengths. Insofar as these lead us to take pride in ourselves, Our goodness itself can be an obstacle to receiving the message of the gospel. Because in our pride, we don't see our need for God. We become blind to our need for God and the true source of our significance. That's what the dream reveals to Nebuchadnezzar. That there is a God higher than you. And you don't see it because you're blind. Your pride has blinded you to the true source of your significance. So what's the sign? How do we know that we're blind? How is it that Nebuchadnezzar comes to find out that he's blind? Well, as we look in the story, we see God sends a messenger. He sends the dream as a warning. And he sends the messenger to interpret. And that's exactly what Daniel does. He comes to Nebuchadnezzar to reveal his blindness. The sign of blindness is blindness. You can either see or you can't. And if you are blind, you can't see what you can't see. And so it takes someone else to reveal to you that you're blind. 
And we see in this story that Daniel comes to tell him. And we see a posture which which we can learn from, one of humility. Because Daniel cares for King Nebuchadnezzar. He has been there a while. And he says to him, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's saying, I pray that this is not for you. Because Daniel understands what the dream means. I pray this is not for you. I pray that this would be for your enemies. Daniel loves and cares for King Nebuchadnezzar. And so his approach to the king is, I'm not really looking forward to telling you this. I really don't want to tell you this. I wish, I wish this were for someone else. He doesn't come and say, Aha, finally I got you. Finally I'm going to be able to convict you of your sin. Everybody else sees this about you, but you don't see this about yourself. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. That's not his posture. And so he informs us in this dream how we, walking alongside others, should approach them with humility, out of love. Not eager, but with trepidation. Humbly, in the hope that they will hear us. And so, one of the signs for us that maybe we're blind is that we receive a warning. That maybe we see a glimpse of how finite the things that we've collected or the places where we've put our hope. How fragile that is. And when we're afraid and we find ourselves anxious of losing these things, maybe that's a sign that we've become blind to the significance of our success. And if God sends someone that you've put an authority over your life, someone that you trust, someone that you know seeks after God's will, and they come to you, and they reveal to you what it is you're blind to, He's saying here, listen to them. Don't argue with them. Don't be obstinate. Don't disagree. Don't try to rationalize. But listen. There's a warning here. That if we don't, there's a problem coming. And Daniel says this to him. So king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel saying to him, Please, O king, listen to me. Because these things that have been told you in this dream, they are about you. You are this tree. You are full of pride. But there is one greater than you. And because you do not realize that your greatness is a gift from God, that all of these things that you have accumulated are truly gifts from God, you as a king, you have been put in this place because God has put you there. If you do not repent, if you do not acknowledge, if you continue to walk in blindness, thinking that your significance is in all the things that you've created, then, O king, please listen to me or... Else, what the dream tells you about the man will happen to you as well. That's his prayer for Nebuchadnezzar. And oh, if Nebuchadnezzar could have only listened. He's saying, oh, people of Trinity, if you would only listen. 
Because Nebuchadnezzar, as he reclined at his home one year later, after hearing the interpretation and the warning from God, is in his palace and says, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? As I look out upon everything that I've accumulated, everything that I've built, all that I have become, does it not communicate to the world my significance? And as the words were on his lips, this voice comes from heaven again and says, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You will become like a beast. And for seven times, you will live this way, out of your mind, for seven years. Until you raise your eyes toward heaven. Everything will be taken from you. Because at that moment, that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven out. He lost all his authority. He lost all his power. He lost everything. And was driven to madness. God had warned him. God had sent a messenger. And he ignored it. He thought he knew better. And so what's the treatment for blindness? What's the treatment that God prescribes for blindness? And we see it right here in this story. It's humility. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. You believe you are the Most High? God humbles him. To show him his blindness. And oftentimes, that's the case, isn't it? We'd love to learn from this lesson today. We'd love to learn from Nebuchadnezzar. But like Nebuchadnezzar, too often we think we know better. Or it's not going to happen to me. I'm not blind. I see everything the way it should be. And the warning from Solomon, a man who preceded Nebuchadnezzar, but lived a very similar life, trying to find purpose and meaning in everything else said these words. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. The higher the height you achieve, where you put yourself, the higher the pedestal on which you put yourself, the greater the fall when you are humbled. And the text is teaching us that you will be humbled. You will either humble yourself or God will humble you. When I was 18, I got a ticket for careless and reckless driving. And I had gotten several tickets for speeding up until that point. And my dad and mom had tried to impress upon me that you're not invincible, that someday you're going to hurt yourself, and hopefully you won't hurt someone else in the meantime. And I'm a great driver. I know what I'm doing. And one night I'm driving home, and as I'm driving home and I'm flying through town, these lights pull out behind me and flashed their lights, and I just took off. And I outran him because I'm a great driver. (laughs) But about a week later, I get this notice in the mail that I'm being asked to court because I'm being charged with careless and reckless driving. As I look at that date, it's like the same date for which I outran this car. And I told my parents, yeah, that's what happened, but that night I didn't know who that was. There were no lights, which there weren't. But I had a pretty good notion who it was. I didn't know who it was, so I took off. And so 
My dad's like, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Ambrose is on court. Ambrose was uh, my ex-baseball coach. But he was a judge. He goes, I, I don't think you have anything to worry about. So I get up in court, and I'm the first case, and everybody's there, and I stand up before the judge, and he just dresses me up one side and down the other in front of everyone, calling me out, calling me arrogant, calling me inconsiderate, not thinking about everyone else, and in front of everybody just humiliates me. Brought me back down to where I needed to be. Now, what I found out years later was that was all orchestrated for my benefit. <laughs> See, my dad had conspired with the judge to put me through that because they didn't believe the lie I told them. But they knew that I needed to be humbled. And so they conspired with the judge to put me through everything. Now, had he told me that that night, I probably would have like, got angry. But he told me years later, when I had a little bit more wisdom and a lot more maturing, that I could understand. The reason he did that was because he loved me. The reason he allowed me to be humiliated like that was because he loved me. And he didn't want me to remain blind to thinking that I was so significant, that I was so great, that I, I could do anything I wanted, that I was invincible. Because he knew that wasn't the case. That is why God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. That is why God allows each one of us to experience the consequences of our actions. In the hope that we would be humiliated enough to know that we are not God. That he alone is God and he alone gives, but he takes away. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the, Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. When you experience humbling, don't fight against it. Don't angry against it. It's a sign of the Lord's love for you. Because he doesn't want you to remain blind to the fact that significance doesn't lie in successes. Your true significance lies in the fact that you are his son. You are his daughter. That's where true significance is found. As a child of the living God. He gives you that. And it's not because of what you do or what you've accumulated. He alone gives you that. It is a gift. But here's the warning. If you do not humble yourself, he will humble you. And the greater the ego, the greater the fall. But when someone comes alongside warning you, remember what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to teach us today. That pride can cause you to be blinded to the significance of your successes, to the significance of your status. The true significance is only found in being a child of the one true God. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar brings us back into the present story and says this, at the end of that time, at the end of those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward the heavens and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar raises his eyes toward heaven at the end of that time, repenting, acknowledging that the one true significant one is God and God alone. 
And it was at that time God's mercy restores Nebuchadnezzar. It is when we humble ourselves before God. When we take heed in his humbling of us, that we acknowledge and we repent and say, yes, you are the one true God. I have fallen prey to the lie that my significance lies in my successes. My significance lies only in being a child of the one true God. That's what God did for Nebuchadnezzar, and that's exactly what God can do for each one of us as we follow his example, as we learn from his lesson. And there's another remarkable thing that happens at the end of this story. In the other two stories, we see Nebuchadnezzar doling out threats, bow to me or throw into the fire. Say anything bad against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm going to cut you to pieces. At the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar says, praise God and he alone. He alone is sovereign. He alone is Lord. He is able to humble even the greatest of kings. Nebuchadnezzar leaves humility, humbling, up to God. My job is to praise him. My job is to tell the world of his graciousness, of his majesty, and I'll leave the humbling to God. So as messengers like Nebuchadnezzar, we're to share with the world the love of God, the warnings of Scripture, and leave the humbling to God. That is our approach. That is the approach we see in this story. And within this flashback in Nebuchadnezzar's story, we also see a foreshadowing. Kind of cool. Flashback, foreshadowing in the flashback. And it's in the stump. And it's a reminder to us of what the prophet Isaiah was told when he was commissioned. That the children of Israel would ignore God's warnings. And as a result, they would be humbled. They would be destroyed. But take heart, there's a seed in the stump. And here in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, we see again a stump left in the land. And it's out of that stump where hope rises. It's out of that what was once a tree rises the cross of Jesus Christ. God erects another tree. And it's upon that tree that he demonstrates to the world his love, his mercy to the world. And his plan to restore everyone by his love. Peter says it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Not because we humble ourselves have we been healed. Not because we figured out where significance lies. But by his wounds, we have been healed. It's something that he has already done for each of us. And he humbles us and he brings us to this point of humiliation, not so that we earn this salvation. No, he does that because he loves us. And he wants us to know our, significant lies, our significance lies in that fact that he loves us, that he created us in his image. He gives us value. He gives us significance because we are his creations. And he does that for you and I, and he sends his son into the world so that the world would know that is what he thinks of us. That is what he wants for us. Not just for us, 
but he wants that for the entire world. And he calls us to take a page out of Nebuchadnezzar's book by being humble. As we share this word with the world, that we take a page out of Daniel's book, that we're humble. How I wish this were not true. That God will come again and there will be a time where he will judge the world and how I wish that were not true. We don't rejoice in the fact that there will be people on judgment day that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But like Daniel, our message today is how I wish this were not true. But believe me, it is. And God will humble us today or on that day. And so we approach the world with love and humility so that in the hope that the world would humble itself and truly find where true significance comes from. And he's given us that responsibility to share that love with the world, to learn from this lesson that we ourselves would not go forth blind, but fully sighted. Sharing the hope and leaving the humbling up to God. I pray that we would go forth with that message. We would go forth telling the kindest truth to the world with the motivation of love, the motivation of Jesus. Sharing with this city of Babylon the great things that God has done. I pray that we learn today. I pray that we go forth hearing what he has said. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ, or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.